Welcome to GOB with Christy and Kathy, where we talk about writing, reading, and life in between. I'm Christy in South Florida. And I'm Kathy in South Dakota. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and crime fiction. We have interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors on our Corks and Conversation episodes. And don't forget our Words in Progress episodes where we have fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us for today's episode. Welcome to our February Crime Book Chat episode. Yeah, today's episode is sure to be interesting. Um, each of these authors each have different backgrounds. We have a doctor, a crime scene analyst, an English teacher, and an attorney. Kathy, this is like the broad range of everything. I love it. And the one thing they have in common, though, is they all write excellent crime fiction books. Yes. So let's get started with some introductions. First, I'll introduce Tammy Uliano. Tammy Uliano's writing is inspired by her day job as a physician, researcher, and educator at University of Florida. She's received numerous teaching awards, approximately 100,000 views of her YouTube teaching videos, and was featured in a calendar of women inventors. Interesting. In addition to several short stories, her second medical thriller, Misfire, was published by Ocean View in January 2023. Michael Connolly, best-selling author of the Bosch series, called it a first-rate medical thriller. So, Tammy, it's great to have you here today. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about um, your latest book? So, A Misfire, as you said, is the second in a series of medical thrillers that I'm writing featuring, guess what, an anesthesiologist, because that's what I am. <laughs> Kate, in this, in this book, is trying to protect patients and her own great aunt, Erm, who's her roommate and, uh, and co-investigator, from a malfunctioning heart defibrillator device that she's had implanted in, and they're started misfiring, hence the title, mm. and causing the, the lethal heart rhythm that they're supposed to be correcting. So uh, when her cardiologist friend disappears and, and uh, major badness ensues, of course, she uncovers a plot of, of revenge and greed, and, and uh, there's a hacker going on, and, uh, and she has to stop them before more people die. Uh. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's move on to Terry Perlato, was born and raised in upstate New York. She holds a bachelor's degree in English education from the State University of New York at Albany and a master's degree in technical writing. While she's always been a writer, she spent most of her professional career as a high school English teacher. She is a member of Sisters in Crime, I bet there are more than one here in this panel, and the Atlanta Writers Club. Um, she currently lives in a North Georgia town with her husband and their dog, Lucy. So welcome, Terry, and tell us about your latest release. All the Dark Places is a domestic thriller. It's about a woman who had a traumatic past that she's kept secret from everyone except her psychologist husband. And he is kind of her rock and her shield and everything is wonderful until she wakes up after his 40th birthday party to find him brutally murdered on the floor of his home office. And things kind of go downhill from there. <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay, so moving on. Lisa Black is New York Times bestselling author of 16 suspense novels, including works that have been translated into six languages, option for film, and shortlisted for the inaugural Sue Grafton Memorial mm -hmm. Award. She is also a certified latent print examiner and a certified crime scene analyst at a police department in Florida. 
She has spoken to readers and writers at numerous conferences, been a consultant for Court TV, and was a guest of honor at 2021 Killer Nashville. Okay, so you tell us a little bit about your latest. Okay, Uh, Red Flags is the first in a new series. And the character Ellie is a crime scene analyst. Big surprise. And, <laughs> and it's um, she works around Washington, D.C. It's basically just another day on the job. She gets a call about a baby kidnapped from his own crib in the middle of the day with no signs of anything at this humongous mansion and shows up to find that the, the mother of this baby is her cousin her first cousin. Ellie has was orphaned at four years old and was raised by a succession of different relatives. She has a huge extended family. So she's been in a lot of different places and a lot of different families. And they were all wonderful, but it was still a lot of moving around for a little kid. So she lived with this cousin and her sister and her parents and everything for a short time, for about three or four years when she was a preteen. But they kind of fell out of touch until this incident. And then her cousin's husband hires the Locard Institute to help find his baby because he has, you know, no faith in the local law enforcement or FBI and believes it's related to his current clients. He is a lobbyist and his current clients make a gaming platform for children, which is there's a bunch of controversy around it and congressional hearings are coming up that's going to affect the company. And he believes that it's got something to do with that. And then more children start to disappear. Okay, last but certainly not least, we have Jody Millman. She is a multi-award winning author of Hooker Avenue and The Midnight Call. Mm -hmm. These are the two first installments of her true crime-inspired Queen City crime series. She's an attorney, a reviewer for Book Trip, and she is a host of her own podcast, The Backstage with Bardavan Podcast, which will be fun to talk to her about. <laughs> and she's the creator of the Writers Law School, um, which she's presented to many, many writers and arts organizations, trades groups, and libraries. She lives in the Hudson Valley in New York, where she is at work on her third legal thriller, The Empty Kayak, which is a great title. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about your writing and your series, Jody, and welcome. Well, I live, I'm an attorney. I live here in the Hudson Valley. And for some reason, we are like a boiler pot of these bizarre crimes, which have been (laughs) uh, over the course of many years, they've been inspiring and just it's like these these crimes literally put themselves on my doorstep, particularly mm-hmm. Hooker Avenue, which is the one I'm, we're going to be talking about tonight. The actual murder occurred. Actually, it involves the, the disappearances of eight prostitutes over the period of two years. And my protagonist, Jessie Martin, is an attorney. She's a single mom. And she's caught in a storm, pulls over one night because she sees something in a ditch. It's determined that there's a person that's drowning. So she stops, she saves this person. And it turns out that at the same time, her best friend, who is a cop, they're estranged at this point, but she's investigating a series of cold cases, which involve the disappearances of eight women, eight prostitutes over the period of a couple of years. And it turns out that the woman that Jesse has found may be the key for uncovering a serial killer that's been getting these women in the Hudson Valley. 
And, you know, as, as Kathy alluded to, um, it's inspired by a true crime. I mean, literally these prostitutes were picked up from the steps of my law office in Poughkeepsie. And over a period of two years, nobody knew what was going on. And finally, one woman escaped and the whole the whole scenario blew up. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was quite interesting, needless to say. Wow. Wow. So that story just presented itself to you. I mean, you must have just thought, I have to write this. Literally, absolutely. <laughs> there was no choice about it. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Well, that sounds fascinating. All of them. Readers love knowing where the ideas for the plot or characters come from. And so let's start with Jody because she already just started telling us about where this came from. Can you tell us a little more and, you know, sure. when you knew you had to start writing these? Well, you know, since since the crime literally happened on the doorsteps of my law office, it was something that I kept, tra- kept track of over a period of two or three years. And in fact, I was able to, believe it or not, cross paths with the killer on several occasions. Because not only was he picking up the women from my office, he lived three or four blocks from where I live. I mean, he was a guy who was a chameleon who lived in the community. He worked in the school district. He was the type of guy where people would say, oh, he was a nice, quiet guy. You would never suspect he was a serial killer. But he was really literally the serial killer who lived down the street. Wow. And then because I was interested in this crime and I felt that in my heart there was a story And as an attorney, I was able to go to the court proceedings. So I was able to go to his sentencing. I was able to have access to the crime records and the court records, which enabled me to gather background, which other people couldn't get. So I really did have an insider's track and an insider's view on this particular crime. And really, it's not often that you you do have something like this just fall in your lap. I mean, Lisa probably sees it too, you know, in her life of work, but it's just, it was an amazing story. Which, what made you decide to do it as fiction versus like a true crime book? You know, I, I, I never felt like I had the calling to do a true crime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to me, honestly, as an attorney, if you're doing true crime, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's a divorce or whether it's actually prosecuting a crime. And I wanted to take my cast of characters that I was creating in my series and insert them in these particular crimes. You know, how would they react if they were faced with what could be a serial killer? You know, and to me, that's the fun. You're, you and your, you're growing an audience who falls in love with your characters and hopefully relates to your characters on some level. So Lisa, your release is a new series. Yes. When did this start percolating? Like, oh, I've got a new thing I've got to do. And what was the inspiration behind it? Well, s- somehow years back, I started getting interest. I don't know why, I, but I came up with a fabulous idea for like the first act of a, of a movie, of a screenplay with this um, orphan as a character. I mean, a, someone about 18, 19 who had been an orphan. So I have this fabulous first act and no idea what happens after that. So it's still sitting in the drawer. During the time, I, I was researching foster kids and that kind of thing, different people's stories. And then I also read The Nanny Diaries, which just com- got me interested in nannies because it's, it's such a unique position in a household. And I kind of originally started this out with the idea that her cousin was the nanny and calls her up and says, you know, you've, you've got to help me because they're going to blame me for this. But then it just worked better with, you know, her cousin being the mother, kind of put her more right in the action and with higher stakes. 
And Ellie's background is very strange because more on this whole orphan story, you know, <laughs> because I also have a large extended family. So some of the some of the people are based on my actual aunts and uncles and where they lived and you know what they did, that kind of thing. And the two cousins, however, Missy and Becca, you know, the two ones that kind of made her childhood a little bit of a hell, was actually based on like two friends of mine that I had like during grade school and high school. And so I had two best friends, which any girl will tell you never works because you're constantly, and it was just kind of like Becca and Missy, you know, one was, one was in tears and the other was giving me the silent treatment. And, you know, when you're a kid, you just, that's just the way it is. You don't really think about it. So I was probably about 45 and suddenly I thought, you know, I spent my whole childhood just supposed to be a happy, carefree time walking a tightrope between these two people. And it's like, why did, why did I have to do that? And that kind of put me on Becca and Missy, who Missy, you don't see until the very end, but it's, that's gives you Ellie's troubled past with mm-hmm. Becca and how she can be controlling in a way. And that how sometimes when you, these childhood friends or relatives, when you meet them as an adult, you just fall right back into that role. Those patterns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, Terry, let's talk about all the dark places and where that came from for you, where that the storyline, the 40th birthday and the sadly deceased birthday boy. Uh, I guess the, the, the two main uh, female characters are what came to me and everything else kind of evolved around them. And Molly, who is the one whose husband is, is killed, I was kind of inspired by a real life woman who had been through terrible trauma horrific crime as a child. And she, a few years ago, I was watching the news and she was on the news because she had just released her second nonfiction book, which was meant to help survivors of um, childhood traumas. And I was just so inspired by her. And I thought, wow, after what she had gone through to be where she was, where she was giving back and, and had this seemingly wonderful life, although I'm sure she went through horrible things along the way. But I thought, what if my character had a horrible experience as a child, but she didn't deal with it? She, it was always in the back of her mind. It was always on the back burner. She kind of was working at keeping it secret and not letting anybody know because she thought that was the best way to deal with it. But of course it wasn't. And so when her psychologist husband is murdered, her whole life unravels once again. So that's where the inspiration for Molly came from. And then my detective, Rita Myers, she came from the fact that I was reading a lot of crime fiction, uh, which I loved, but I thought, what if we had, and we're talking about um, Bosch before, I love Bosch. Mm. (laughs) What if we had sort of a female Bosch? You know, we have lots of female detectives who are young, but what if we had somebody who was uh, more my own age, you know, Mm -hmm. who was 60, but wasn't content to be in the shadows or whatever, but she's vibrant and she's attractive and she's fit and she's just living the dream, even though she's 60, because that shouldn't matter. <laughs> what a concept. Good for her. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tammy, I am very curious about where your story ideas come from, because obviously they're inspired by your work. I mean, are you at work in your doing your thing as an anesthesiologist and you're like, Oh, this could go really wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It depends. Does anyone at work actually watch this? Because 
Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anesthesiologists are in sort of a unique position in that we're the only place where we pull up drugs and give them with nobody looking over our shoulders. You know, if a nurse wants to give a drug, it has to be, they have to pull it from a pharmacy cart that knows what drug it is and someone else has to check it. And, and so there's ample opportunity mm -hmm. for mistakes to be made. Um, and so it's sort of a natural thing for me to think about where mistakes can be made in an effort to prevent that. Um, but it also gives you the chance to think about if you were um, dastardly, um, what could you do? Not could I do, but what could happen? Right. So, so I guess yes, and and uh, mostly in an, in an effort to make sure it doesn't happen. Um, but for misfire, my husband has a, a medical device company, and he and I had invented a device to monitor pregnant women when they're in labor, and we were going through FDA approvals. Ooh. And so one of the things they needed us to prove was that it wasn't hackable. And I thought, why in the world would someone want to hack somebody's baby monitor? Um, and I couldn't really go anywhere with that. But there are other things that are far more dangerous to hack. And so I sort of went with that. And uh, and it turns out it's a real thing. And, and I mentioned in the author's notes that um, when Dick Cheney was vice president, he had one of these devices, an AICD implanted, and they actually turned off the ability to communicate with it at the ones now you have to be within three inches to communicate with it with the with a special dongle. Oh, but they turn that off in fear that somebody might approach him and and try to affect it. So, oh. so yeah, so it was it was fun to be um, coming up with really awful things that can happen. <laughs> I've had so many people ask me in my first book. I have a, an anesthesia provider who's killing people, and so many people ask me, "Can that really happen?" <laughs> Like, no, no, it never can happen. No. <laughs> it's fiction. Not where I work. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. Well, so we have another question that everybody always wants to know. This is the second question that everybody wants <laughs> to know. What is your writing process? And and it's interesting because I think most of you all, you have day jobs as well, so it should be varied. But um, let's start with Terry. Well, I actually don't have a day job. I'm, I retired from teaching um, a few years ago and, um, you know, I went to my husband and I said to him, I don't think I can do this anymore. As much as I love teaching and I did, um, I was exhausted mm -hmm. and I went to my husband and said, what would you think about me retiring and writing full time and see where that goes? And we still had two kids mm -hmm. in college and he to his great credit, didn't bat an eyelash and said, go ahead and do it. Great. <laughs> That's that. great. So I feel very, very, very fortunate that I can write full time. So I write all morning and edit in the afternoon. And that's basically my routine. Um, so Tammy. Well, I'm only 60% at work. So I get two days a week that I can write. And process is, is sort of hilarious because it is so not a real process yet. I'm only on, well, I'm working on book three, which... I got to about two thirds of the way and now I completely tore it apart and I'm starting over. So, so yeah, that's not really a process. That's more of like a, a, a car accident, <laughs> but, um, but I would love to learn a process, but yeah, I get up in the morning and go to the gym and then I write and intermittently go stand outside with a, a laptop desk that I can uh, throw the ball for my dog as a, a chuck it kind of thing, because if I don't stand up, I might fall asleep which is a bad sign, I guess. 
and then um, <laughs> yeah, and then go for a walk, and then write a few more words, and then yeah, it's kind of a mess. But but you can see my my huge whiteboard there in the background where I try and do some of my plotting, and and I have a blast with yeah. it. I like a whiteboard too. Yeah, I've Kathy's got, got a few too. You know what I discovered though? <laughs> when you erase something on a whiteboard, you can't undelete. No. <laughs> so I have a million pictures of my whiteboard. No. <laughs> oh, oh, interesting. Good idea. Good idea. I like I like the basketball hoop behind you though. That's that's what I was noticing. Yeah, well, you know, when the kids all left, um, the playroom became my room. And uh, I don't do a lot with the basketball hoop, but uh but yeah, I've got three kids in grad school all over the country. So when they come home, I, I lose my playroom again. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Lisa, what about you? Well, I do have a day job, I'm, but I'm on a rotating shift. So I work like 12 hour days. And so I'm on two days, off two days. I work every other weekend. And so it depends on, you know, whether it's a work day or not a work day. I usually set a word count goal for myself for the day. And it might be a thousand words a day on the days I don't work and 2000 on the days I do work. And I've tweeted, or just a thousand words a day, no matter what I've tweeted over the years. So I, I want to write, do it, get it done as soon as I can, because mm -hmm. then I can relax for the day. So I'm a morning writer if that's possible. Yeah. And sometimes it isn't. But um, I generally stick to that. And when I, I start at the beginning and I go all the way through until um, I finish the first draft and then I'll go back and, and rewrite, you know, at least two or three drafts. Right. And then when I when I can't stand to look at it anymore, then I send it off to my beta readers, who are my two sisters. And you know, get a little feedback yeah. from them, and then I can send it off, to, you know, to the agent so, and cross my fingers. Right. <laughs> okay. So, how did you develop the beta relationship with your sisters, or did that just come very naturally? Are they both readers, or? Yeah, they're both big readers. And pretty much everyone was a big reader in my family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've had critique groups over the years. I'm in one right now, and they are enormously helpful. Mm -hmm. You know, it's difficult to find one that really stays together and is consistent. But um, my re my my two sisters, I you know, I can I can take advantage of and boss around. Like I just handed them a whole manuscript and said, "Get back to me on this." You can't do that to a critique group. You right. Know? <laughs> right. All right. So, what about you, Jody? Well, you know, being an attorney, I'm. I've been trained to outline. Okay, mm -hmm. we got, I knew we we're going to have an outliner somewhere in this. Group. Yeah, I'm an outliner. <laughs> and you know, it, it helps because I mean, my outlines end up being like 30, 40, 50 pages. So they're really oh my gosh. by the time, you know, I, I get to my first draft. But as I ride, write and go through the process, they're constantly changing. You know, so that where I started and where I where I end are two different things. However, because of the type of fiction that I write, I'm really tied into the facts of a particular crime because people always ask me, oh, this one is based upon X, Y, Z crime. So they expect, you know, the killer to actually be the killer that they know to be the killer. Right. right. So, you know, yeah. So I'm tied in that way. But definitely I am a an outliner. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it any other way. And I, I don't know. Maybe that's my personality. No, you're in good company. <laughs> Kathy and Jeffrey Deaver are both big outliners. Yeah. <laughs> do you write before your workday, Jody, Or do you write during your workday? After? How does that work? 
again, I have the luxury of being mostly retired um, at this mm -hmm. point. I, I have my license and I practice what's known as friends and family law. <laughs> so, you know, my kids get this feeding ticket or somebody's <laughs> got a house closing. I mean, I keep mm -hmm. it for that reason and also to do the continuing legal education. Yeah. But so mostly I'm, I'm retired. So I really have the luxury of writing every afternoon. Oh, good. So oh. and that's what I do. I get, you know, all of my other chores and things done out of the way. So, uh, yeah. To me, it's a full-time, you know, to me, writing is a full-time job. That's yeah. the way I look at it. Right. You now my yeah. husband will say, what'd you do all day? Well, what do you think I did all day? Books don't write themselves. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, we talk to so many authors that no matter what age they are, they're finding writing at a, at a, as a second career so mm -hmm. often. And I love those conversations because I don't know, I think there's just something magical about that. Um, that choice that you maybe waited a long time to do um, right. if you're in Terry's case or, you know, you just, you're busy already as a, as a lawyer or, and you, but you're so desperate to write. That's why writers are so fun to talk to. Well, you know, what, what was interesting was in a way I inherited writing because I started off writing nonfiction. I started off writing a book called Seats New York, which is a guide to Broadway. And that I inherited from my father. He wrote this incredible book that had seating plans and how to get free tickets and cheap tickets. Really? The thing was, his, uh, was a, a bestseller for his publishing company. And then my father unexpectedly passed away. So they came mm -hmm. to me and they say, hey, we've got a hit on your hands, our hands. Oh. Can you help us? So I started out from, for about 10 years. I wrote those, those guides. And then I said, you know what? I want to do fiction. <laughs> I've, I've got to tell these stories. Yeah. And that's how I got into it. Entirely different, non-fiction. I mean, to admit, dead bodies on your office doorstep kind of <laughs> would lead you to exactly. the fact that you need to write this. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so we're midway, you guys. Let's all take a little sip of whatever beverage we're enjoying. And we're going to ask the question in the bottle. These are the sorts of questions that might come up when you get to the bottom of a bottle of wine. Um, Christy <laughs> always has some random question, and it's always fun to hear what it is. All right. Would you rather give up? cussing forever or give up ice cream for 12 years okay well that's an easy choice for me because i gave up cursing you know unless i'm extremely provoked back in high school when i left my clarinet on the bus and i promised god i made god a deal <laughs> that if i got my clarinet back I would never swear again. And for the most part, I stick to that. Oh my God. Also, I would not give up ice cream under any circumstances. <laughs> if, if there was only one food I could eat for the rest of my life, it would be ice cream. And flavor? What flavor? Oh, yeah. I like I like vanilla. I like mint chocolate chip. You know, I like cherry vanilla. I like, you know. Okay, Jody. Well, first of all, I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> So. <laughs> oh, so it's an easy choice for her. <laughs> and I curse like a, a longshoreman. So I think that answers the question right there. <laughs> wow, this has turned out to be pretty easy. This has turned out to be easy. That's yours. Well, I think it's it would be difficult for me because I love ice cream and anything sweet, which is my total downfall. I don't know how I could give up ice cream. But um, I'm, I'm like Jody. Um, you know, I was raised in New York and it just... Profanity is just just the way we express ourselves. I, I I would like to think I could stop, but you know my kids got to watch all the time. You know something slips in front of them, they uh, they let me know it. But um, I really don't know 
I guess I'd probably have to give up ice cream for 12 years because I don't <laughs> think that I could get rid of the profanity altogether. Yeah. What about you, Terry? I could give up swearing pretty easily. I don't swear very much. In fact, I've been told that in thrillers, I need to quit with the uh, the dangs and the darns <laughs> and, and the exclamation point star question mark things because it's just not. But but yeah, I could give up swearing. I could not give up ice cream. Hmm. Kathy. <laughs> yeah, I like to swear. It feels good. It, like just feels <laughs> yeah. good. Yes. And I do love ice cream, but if, if I had to make a promise to God, I think I would not. <laughs> Uh, been as successful as Lisa, so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, keep, I'm gonna say ice cream's on the back burner. Yeah. How about you, Chris? I'm the same with you, Kathy. I'm, I'm like I'm not a big, I'm not big on either one, honestly, um, because yeah. I don't have as much of a sweet tooth, but I like ice cream occasionally. But I do like to, even if it's in my head, I like to cuss a lot. And I don't know if that counts, but you know. <laughs> I don't know. You have to ask Lisa because she's more talking But I can, all I can so. say is, damn COVID. That's all I said. All for the last yeah, right. Damn COVID. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. All right. So anyway, what about the writing and publishing industry surprised you the most? And what are the best or most ch- and most challenging parts of Terry? Well, for me, having to get on social media, that has been by mm. far my biggest challenge because before, you know, my uh, agent sold my fr- manuscript. I had a Facebook page that I almost never looked at that I only had because my sister in <laughs> California uh, wouldn't leave me alone. And she said, how are you going to see pictures of, uh, you know, your nieces if you're not on Facebook? So I'm like, okay. But it's like I post, I would post something like twice a year. And then I would like, do people really <laughs> see, you know, a picture of my birthday dinner? Do they really want to see, you know, my tulips? Um it just, it's just social media is just not me. And yeah. it has been a struggle. And I'm sure that I'm not doing it right because I'm on, you know, I'm supposed <laughs> to be on. And I'm sure I'm insulting people and ignoring people and doing everything I shouldn't do because I have no clue what I'm doing. So to me, that yeah. has been, that's my biggest challenge. Okay, Jody. You know, there's more to writing than writing. You know, I mean, it's as as Terry was saying, I mean, you've got you have to write then you have to revise, then you have to promote. But in addition to social media, you have to set up events and you have to write blogs and you have to do all kinds of promotion while you're trying to balance the time with your writing. I mean, I wish there were 36 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. I think that's really what yes. it is. I don't think we yes. have enough time to write and then to do all of the other ancillary tasks that are necessary to be a writer. Mm-hmm. And Lisa, you were you were agreeing with her. Yeah, there's not enough time. Yes. You've got you've had yeah. a lot of novel you published, so you're uh, very experienced. You can give us some guidance. Uh, no, <laughs> not really, I, have, I have no clue what I'm doing either. So yes, I guess the biggest surprise would be you know you don't just write the book and that's all you have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, there's and promotion is definitely the biggest challenge mm-hmm. on social media too because you know like yes I I pop in to see like also photos of my nieces and that's that I would be fine with just that on on social media but you know so yes you have to constantly do what you can and it never feels like enough and it never feels like you're doing it right Mm -hmm. super difficult Mm -hmm. 
I'm, I'm thinking, Tammy, that you've got like 100,000 people watching your classes. Can't you put like blurbs like halfway through go, and by the yeah. way. Buy my novel. That would be very cool. Um, the biggest surprise to me is is you guys, is just how friendly and supportive and kind and approachable all these authors are from Lee Child, you know, Michael Connolly. They're just so willing to help everybody else. And when I would go to medical meetings with, you know, abstracts or presentations, it always felt like a competition who was, mm -hmm. you know, gonna mm. be the, the the next one to, I don't know, develop something really cool. And, uh, and it always felt like everybody was almost pushing the other ones down to raise themselves. And it's the opposite in writing. Everybody's lifting everybody else up. And it's just been, I've made such great friendships with people I never would have met in my very tunnel career that I that I had before I broke out. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I do. I, I, I think so, too. I, Christy and I met at um, a writing conference as newbie writers, and that is the constant is how incredibly engaging and friendly and supportive people in this community are. And we have had a couple authors, crime fiction authors, kind of quietly say, like, not this way in uh, all genres but I, we don't know that because we always do mysteries and thrillers but it is that is really cool it is really cool my favorite week of the year is thriller fest which i have to i mean not tell my husband because he's like but i'm not at thriller fest <laughs> there's yes, no correlation there <laughs> okay so um let's wrap up our final question with what a two-parter what is um, some advice that you would give to other authors who are following in the footsteps of where you're at in your career. And what are you working on now? Lisa? The advice I always give is read the best-selling authors in the same genre and type of book that you want to write. And just read and read and read and read. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It'll give you lots of, of ideas and you'll find yourself noticing what they do. It's like how they tie characters together and how they present certain scenes and that kind of thing. And what I'm working on now is the, well, the sequel to Red Flags is going to be out in July called What Harms You. Mm -hmm. And that's all done. That's all, um, you know, I just sent the copy edited manuscript back. So that's all ready to go. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm working on what I hope will be the next one after that. Okay, Tammy. So my advice is go to a writer conference or a course <laughs> where there are other writers physically present and meet them and get out of your comfort zone of solitude, which is what we writers do. Um, and then, you know, I have a group of women that I met at a Margie Lawson course in 20. 14 or 15, something like that. And we still get together uh, regularly by Zoom. And once a year, they all come to visit me and we have a week together to write. And then also critique groups, if you can find a good one. Um, and what I'm working on now is the third in my Kate Downey series, the one that I just had to blow up. And um, <laughs> I'm also just finished plotting out a standalone uh, dual timeline, different different thing that I'm, I'm really excited hmm. to get started on. Interesting. Okay, Terry. Um, I would say um, the advice that I would give other people that were in my position is to not be discouraged, to keep, keep at it. When I was looking, you know, for an agent, I got my agent with my 92nd query. 
So, I mean, there were lots of near misses along the way, lots of great feedback, lots of, you know, requests for falls. It was very encouraging on that, you know, on that side of it. But, um, but it did take, you know, 92 queries. And I finally ended up with a really great agent and it just took off after that. So don't be discouraged. Um, you know, you can be a debut author like me at 63. It can happen. And then, and what are you working on now? Working on my, the third manuscript of, it's kind of, I guess, turned into a series from All the Dark Places. My uh, detective, Rita Myers, gotten such great feedback. People seem to really, really like Rita. So I just kept going. And, um, you know, the second Rita book is about there, about done. And I'm um, right. working on number three. Yay. <laughs> Good. That's awesome. All right, Jody. Well, uh, some of the gals already stole my thunder about perseverance yes, and <laughs> conferences. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to say, you know, if you really want to get published, there is a publishing house out there for you. You don't necessarily need an agent. You just have to do a little bit of research and find a reputable house that will allow you to submit directly to them. Um, but again, I want to put in a plug for Thriller Fest because Thriller Fest is the best that's where I learned to be a, uh, a crime fiction writer. I mean, I didn't know how to write a novel. They taught me through their classes how to learn to write and what to look for and to create a writer's community, which is really wonderful. And Tammy looked very familiar. Now I know why. We've seen each other. <laughs> <laughs> I love Thriller Fest. Yes. Yeah, I do too. Christy and I, because we're um, in disparate locations, we try to meet up every year and we use writing conferences as our excuse so we can get together and so um we we will second and third and fourth and fifth um certainly Willers Fest and Sleuth Fest one of our favorites in Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah yes so Jody what are you working on now what other body has landed on your door <laughs> well actually not too far from it actually um this one is called the empty kayak and involves a uh a, well we don't know if it's a if it's an accident a, um, a suicide or a murder that takes place on the Hudson River, which is, again, just a stone's throw here in Poughkeepsie. And it involves, it's the third in the, uh, the Queen City crime series. And we move from the land to the, to the murky Hudson River, which is something that is a giver of life and also a taker of life. So yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I've learned an awful <laughs> lot in the process. It's been really exciting. It's, come, it's supposed to come out in May. All right. Before we go... We have one final question that is a little interactive, okay? (laughs) Kathy and I are starting a crime-fighting team, and we want you to offer us one of your characters for a spot on the GOB squad. Which would you volunteer, and what would their role on the team be? Um, so I will offer up my um, the great Aunt Erm. She is the uh, sort of comic relief. She's a German... Uh, elderly woman who uh, gets all of her English idioms wrong, but she's incredibly perceptive and and can read people extremely well and is very enthusiastic about the whole idea of solving crime. All right. So she'll be our sneaky, sneaky one. Yeah. I will offer you Agnes, who is the digital forensics person at the Locard Institute. She's a, a very young, but very prim and very firm um, you know, person 
And she, there's nothing she can't find out from your phone or your laptop or your computer oh, or your useful. search history. Mm-hmm. And she will, you know, a very, very no-nonsense uh, woman that basically terrifies everyone who comes in contact with her. All right. I can picture it. I can picture <laughs> okay. it. Jody. I'm going to offer up uh, Carly Jones. She's a forensic pathologist mm-hmm. and she has an identic memory. Oh, so there you go. Everything. Perfect. A bit of a smarty pants. And she also is a fashion plate. She loves to dress up. She really. We need some style on the team. Yeah. There, you got a, yes. style, a style gal going on there. And she, she likes, she's very competitive and she competes with her sister, who's the detective, okay. the detective in all of my books. So we have some sisterly, you know, things going yeah. on there. Yeah. yeah. Competition. <laughs> all right, Terry. Final, final person on our team. Well, I guess it would have to be Rita, my detective, because she kind of tells it like it is. You know, she's been a detective or she spent, you know, a uniform cop for, decades and she's seen it all done it all and you know no nonsense and um and she likes a good glass of red wine as well Mm. i gotta say (laughs) i really love this i think this would be an excellent like tv show don't you with all these characters i mean they all kind of fit but they're all it's all women (laughs) all right well thanks that's great i love it okay so just to um follow up to our earlier conversation about the difficulties of social media and whatnot where would you like most for readers to reach out to you? Uh, website, social media, like where are you most active? Uh, Joey? People can, can reach me through my website. I mean, anybody who writes me, I definitely write back. You know, I, I do Facebook and Instagram, but I'm, I'm a website kind of gal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jerry? Mm-hmm. I'm with Jody. Um, I understand <laughs> how to use my website, sort of. Um, <laughs> you know, it's you email me through my website. Yes, I will answer. I understand email. Um, <laughs> you can try to get in touch with me through social media. It's really hit and miss. I <laughs> Website's the way to go. All right. We'll put those links in. Tammy. Same. I am Same on way. Facebook, but I it, irregularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Lisa, where are you at? Okay. Uh, website, uh, com. And I'm on social media, but it's it's unpredictable to me. It's like because things pop up and disappear, and I don't know where they go, and it's it's just <laughs> it's just kind of frustrating. But my web- website has you know links to my email and such. Like I'm also a member of RogueWomenWriters.com. Mm. That's a cross promotional group with eight other amazing female um, thriller writers. Awesome, love that, love that. We will include the links in all of our. Um, Blog. So anybody who's listening, we we got you. We'll get you to these lovely women and their fantastic books. Yes, and thank you so much for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. So fun. I think we need to give a big cheers for all the next, all the success of these novels. How's cheers. that? Yeah. Cheers, cheers ladies. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, GameOfBooksPodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can watch and listen. On GameOfBooksPodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter and enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you that we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers.